here respected. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Dream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know the hip hop chorus. Well, I'm, I'm excited for this interview for a lot of reasons. Um, just because, man, it's just so good to have. It's just such an important time to to have this conversation. Um, so, uh, absolutely. Let's let's get it, as we say. So, welcome, right. uh, Reverend Michael Malcolm. And I want to actually start with that. You know, people need to understand. That when they say Reverend Michael Malcolm, there is no L. So if you if you are typing it out, it's M A M A L C O M. Don't don't put no L there in there. Put that extra L. I didn't earn that. <laughs> I earned that. I earned that right to to to, to have it spelled correctly. And so y'all got to make sure you double autocorrect. Well, my brother, it is so good to see you. Welcome to the coolest show, and to the podcast. I am honored and um, highly honored to be here, Rev. I'm highly honored to be here. This means the world. You just don't know. Nah, it's, it's really good to see you. But for, for folks who might not know, please tell the audience, who is Reverend Michael Malcolm? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm Michael Malcolm. I am the founder and executive director of the People's Justice Council, as well as executive director of Alabama Interfaith Power and Light. I'm also the uh, environmental minister for the Southeast Conference of the United Church of Christ. Man, so you are a, you, you got your, your bona fides, because, you know, we both from the South. That's right. So you know, That's right. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you know how to preach... If you can preach in the South, you can preach anywhere. That's what hey, that's what they <laughs> from what I'm told, that's where they raise them at. I don't know. I don't know if that's for sure. I just I, I'm just told that that's where they raise. Listen, since you and I are here and we both from the South, we can say that. We can I affirm that, go. right? <laughs> <laughs> we can affirm that right now. Make that clear for those. I, I just wanted to set you up for that violence so you can slam it on in. That's, That's right. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, tell the folks about your journey um, in the faith tradition as a member of the clergy to climate work. Yeah, so I, I was born and raised in, in the Pentecostal Holiness Church. My my family is steeped in the Pentecostal Holiness Um church movement in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And, um, and I grew up in that, in that uh, tradition. Uh, and Reb, we learned how to do a whole lot of shouting, man, and, and, and a whole lot of, uh, of singing. And, and, you know, we had some of the, the, the greatest preachers, but I never heard anything concerning how we lived and, and where we lived and what surrounded us. And, and the, the um, those things that were outside that that hurt us and hindered us. There was a lot of talk about, you know, respectability politics, but there was very little talk about environmental justice, uh, climate justice. And so I moved through life and, and uh, I love my my family and I love my family tradition. 
Um, and I, I, I accepted that and, and went to seminary and, and started pastoring. Uh, I moved away from the Pentecostal holiness to the United Church of Christ just because it, it centered me better. Uh, and, and in that uh, movement or in that tradition, um, I began to be exposed to other things, but it still didn't settle on me that there were issues in my environment and issues uh, and, and stressors in the environment that were that needed to be addressed. Uh, and it was when I sat at a conference and I heard Reverend Dr. Gerald Durley uh, mm-hmm. speaking. He made the statement, Reverend Yibwood. He said, uh, "How can I preach to them in the pulpit, shout them in my pews, but they can't breathe in public?" Mm. And that right there, just it, it was as if though the scales fell from my eyes and I started seeing where God was for me and, and where God's voice was for me. Uh, and, and I started seeing the, com- the community and I'm, I was reminded by the scripture where it says that Jesus was moved by compassion and, and I was moved by compassion to take my education and take my skills and and take my my uh, connections and invest that in in helping my community to address the environmental stressors that hinder them. Uh, I, I before we get to heaven and hell in the afterlife, I want to deal with the hell that we face here. That's right. Well, you mentioned a lot there, and one thing you mentioned was my dear brother, uh, Reverend Gerald Durley, who's amazing. <laughs> I, I I I somehow. Got him to go on with me on one of my hip hop uh, <laughs> environmental <laughs> tours. Uh, you know, I mean, he's he's been around the movement for a while. Folks who don't yeah. know, please, you need to look him up. But he's yeah. a dynamic uh, leader in our movement. He's just a great brother. That's, that's yeah. probably the most important thing. Yeah. But uh, and he's also tall. He used to play b- basketball back in the day for Tennessee State, and so. You know, he's one of those days back in the day with Sam Jones and the crew. So he would he would get it back then with them, with the with, <laughs> with, with, with you know, and all the and the Havlicek and all those guys back in those days. But so we went out there. This is my funny story. We we gotta had him on the road, but I could tell when he was getting ready to do something because he would slip one shoe off. That's what he he would <laughs> he would I knew he was getting ready to do something. Boy, I mean, do something. I mean, he was great. Say something profound. You just, you, better, you need to tune in tightly. When you saw that slip, you when you saw that shoe slip off, boy, man, you would hear some thunder and lightning. It was about the gears about to go down. That's Reverend Doctor Gerald Durley, man. I tell you, I tell you, yeah, he yeah. is. He is one of my dear mentors to this day. Uh, he took me into the movement. Um, he and 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 don't let me forget my EJ pastor, uh, Rev, Reverend uh, Leo Woodbury. Most uh, that's that's you know uh, he is he is my my uh, pioneer and, and I would say my single model for for ministry in this movement. And, and so between the two of them, uh, they took me in when I came into this movement. Man, green is 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 the flowers behind me, Doc. Uh, and, and they took me in, man, and, and still to this day, usher me, uh, along with others in the community, Jackie Patterson, and, uh, Rev, uh, 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 Dr. Adrian Hollis, uh, uh, Leslie Fields, and, and, and others, man, that 
you know, just have have centered me in this movement and and, and have made me community. And 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 I just I appreciate not just them but you as well. And I wanted to make sure while we're talking about legends, I wanted to shout you all out as well, man. No, thank you. Um, but on that note, why is it important for the church to have a role in the climate conversation? You know, I, I think that the church should be that barometer uh, that that ga- engages that conversation, but also gauges the conversation. Uh, from what I've seen in this in this space, uh, we can get lost in the policy and the data, and we miss the people. And I think the church can bring people back into the conversation. The church can bring community back into the conversation and, uh, and be and be those watchdogs and be that voice uh, for the community that that not only speaks to the community and lets them know as mediator mediators what's happening, but also speaks for the community to those who are making policy to let them know where it hurts. Mm-hmm. Let me actually, let, let's, let's dig into that for a minute. Yeah. I think that's an important conversation to have. I think, you know, maybe we, we're going to probably have two parallel conversations. So one conversation is what we just talked about, the church and the climate movement, but it's about the church's um, role um, in movement, period. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned how when you were, I mean, I'm the same way, that the environment was not a focal point. Um, and to some degree, still is not a focal point and in many of our churches. And they're hearing about the climate crisis, and they see it, and they know it. There's no doubt about it. They feel it. Um, but it, but it's, it's not always front and center. Do you think that's because people don't think that the climate movement as it is, is for them? Do you think that's, that our movement has moved away from social justice? Do you think that, you know, we don't teach this as a, as a, as a, as a process in our seminaries? I mean, wh- why is it that those who are most impacted, most affected, are not having these conversations? And to be honest, we're not even having these conversations sometimes about police brutality and other ills in our community as well. Uh, I think it was it was uh, Shirley Chisholm. I'm, I'm certain it was. Uh, she said that she was unbought, unbossed, <laughs> and unbamboozled. And, and I think that that is our issue when it comes down to our communities and when it comes down to our uh, faith communities. Many of our communities have been either bought, bossed, or bamboozled. Mm. Uh, we've either been, been bought and uh, in, in by those who harm us in, in, in ways of uh, polluting our communities, but giving us uh, a paint over on our parks or a a new playground Uh, and and not really seeing uh, the harm that they're doing because we've been bought off. 
we've we've been bossed. Uh, our the policies that we have in place have dictated for our communities how we're supposed to live. And and as a result, we live in these degraded communities uh, and we have very little uh, fight when it comes down to public policy because they're they're built to cause this harm to our communities. But then you have those who have been bamboozled, who have been told that uh, your job is to, to work and your job is to bring in uh, revenue and your job is to go get it and your job is to move. And, and, and they've got caught up in the distractions of everyday living and trying to, su- to survive this poverty cycle that they hadn't had time to really deal with the other issues and seeing the importance in the other issues. They don't see the connection between the other issues. So you've got, you. I think you've got three categories that need to be addressed. addressed. And those of us who uh, side on the side of Shirley Chisholm, who are now unbossed, unbossed and am unbamboozled, need to disciple those who are. Hmm. That takes time. I don't want to let those who are listening to this conversation, uh, many of our colleagues in the climate movement, I don't want to let y'all off the hook now. I don't want y'all to hear this conversation and think that <laughs> that, uh, that Rev and Rev and Malcolm here are talking about what's going on just with the black church. And this is that clearly there has a, there's a leadership problem yeah. and there's also a problem with focus. So I want you to let, let y'all know, y'all not off the hook. I'm going to come back to y'all in a second. We go, we, I'm going to come back <laughs> to y'all. So y'all sit tight. Just yeah. listen, you know. Uh, but I, we, we got some things to work out before we before we get there. Um, do you think that the role, for instance, of black liberation and liberation theology um, is no longer relevant to a lot of these black preachers? I think it's very much relevant. Me coming, me coming from you know ITC. You coming from Howard. You know it's very much relevant for us. Uh, I, 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 at the same time, I think that the emphasis um, or the focus that we place that on isn't necessarily uh, as relevant to what what's going on today. <clears throat> Where we generally focus that has been on individual. Um, efforts, individual, we've individualized Black liberation. So we we celebrate Black exceptionalism. We don't look at it as a collective whole because, let's be honest, we also got caught up in the whole name it and claim it and and, uh, profit-driven ministry um, model. So we chased that as well, and we lost what it means to be community. So I, I, I don't I don't think that uh, I, well, I think that it's a it's a matter of us getting our focus back and understanding where we are now and that we need community and we've got to build as community. We can ill afford to live as individuals anymore. So I think it's a focus issue. I don't know. I don't know that it's a, a, a level of importance. I think it's still very much importance. I, I, important. I just think we need to move back to a collective focus and not an individual focus. What's the future of the black church, in your opinion? I I I, I think the black church 
has no other choice but to shift at this point. I don't, I don't think the black church can exist as it traditionally has anymore. There are, there are too many factors that are calling us back to a place where social justice uh, is centered, uh, where social reforms are centered. And our advocacy for those things was centered. Uh, we, I don't, again, I just don't think we have a choice at this point. Do you think that when the modern day church um, be- be- became a nonprofit entity, um, or as some would say from the tax status, legal tax name, a 501c3, from the days of when Harriet Tubman and John Brown and many of those, Nat Turner, um, do you think that there was a substitution there? for liberation for um, a nonprofit tax status? No, not, not, not for the black church. And, and here's why I say that, Rev. Let's be honest. And, and, and here's where we won't let folk off the hook. We're going, we going back and grabbing them again, like you said. Okay. Many of our black churches really don't understand the tax law. We just know that we got a 501c3, but mm-hmm. we don't really understand that we can't say and what we can say. We aren't really participating in that way at large. Not, not, there, are, there are those exceptions, but at large. Uh, and, and so I can't necessarily say that the 501c3 is a factor. I can say, however, capitalism is a factor. I can say that our model of ministry doesn't look like the model of Christ. And and the model of ministry that we have looks more like capitalism. Hmm. And so it favors capitalism. And so we're driven by profit. And, And we don't say certain things because it might upset some folk in our congregation and they won't give. So I, I think it's a there's a, a difference there, not so much in, in the 501c3 aspect as it is in the in the um, the money making aspect. Hmm. That's an important point you're making there. That's a very important point you're making. Um, you, you're kind of hitting back onto the respectability politics um, that we see. I, I'll tell you a story for me. Um, as you know, I, I've been doing this work in, in hip-hop organizing and politics for, man, too long. Uh, back when all my hair was red, now it's red and gray. Uh, uh, but uh, I was doing it. But one of the things that, that I, I learned, and it helped me in my theology, is that in the beginning, um, when I was first doing this work, this is around the beginning of this century, so 2001, 2002, 2003, um, I would go to churches. Um, either at the time, I was either the grassroots director um, with the Hip Hop Summit Action Network with Dr. Ben Chavis and others, or then later on with the Hip Hop Caucus. So I would go to churches, um, and they would, and I, listen, as you mentioned, I, I, had, I had my MDiv. I, I even had my D-Men from St. Paul's. Um, so I had all that good stuff and, you know, and, 
um, had served as a chaplain in the Air Force and did all of those things. So, you know, all those credential things that yeah, I yeah, guess yeah. people think think are important. But when I would go to the church, I mean, they would mention uh, hip-hop. They said, we have this, we have uh, Rev Yearwood here, and he's the president of the Hip-Hop Caucus. Folk would walk out. Like, they would give me that church finger. <laughs> they would give me a little, you know, you know that little church finger, and they came with me like they got. <laughs> they would be like, "Oh, this is not, this ain't my Man. Sunday to be here." And they would, they would dip out, and I would think maybe because of you know, I, I, it, it, it hurt me to the core. Now I'm just saying, you know, that 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 would, as a young minister, um, that crushed me. Yeah, because yeah. I, it wasn't so much even for me. It was just the fact that yeah. if you can treat me this way. Now, how are you going to treat this 16-year-old or 18-year-old in your congregation, that young woman or that young, that young brother? And so that's the one thing about that. So do you think that our movement is sometimes, or at our church in, in particular, that they're missing this, they're missing the social deliberation because it's superficial, because they're caught up in how it looks and how it sounds and not actually the, the faith, what's, what's coming out of that, that person or entity? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let me let me recall what I just said about what Reverend Dr. Gerald Durley said. How can I preach to them in the pulpit, shout them in my pews, but they can't breathe in public? In essence, what he was saying is, how can I give more focus to the performance of worship and not pay attention to their practical everyday living? And we have given more focus to the performance of worship than we have to the practical everyday living of our communities that we that that our worship centers or facilities or houses are centered in. I, I at the time was pastoring Rush Memorial United Church of Christ. It sits on the uh, AU campus. It's surrounded by Morehouse, Clark Atlanta University, uh, uh, Spelman, uh, ITC is over there, as well as Morris Brown is there. And, and so I'm sitting in the middle of this campus right next to Clark Atlanta University. We go in, we drive in Sunday after Sunday, have worship service, and then we leave back out and go to our prospective homes outside of, of the campus never really engaging the campus at all. Mm. And, and for um, quite some time, they had, you know, responded and performed this way. And, and, and none of the students from the campus ventured the doors of the campus. When I became the pastor, we started reaching out to the community, reaching out to the campus, and we started having students to come in to the campus. Unless you, we, we serve, a Christ, according to our Christian faith, who, who scripture says was touched by our infirmities. It's awful shame when we don't want to touch our communities. Hmm. We aren't serving the same model of ministry that, that Christ served. That's powerful. That's important. Now those folks were listening. I told you I was going to come back to you. <laughs> and so we, <laughs> uh, we, had, we had to work out a few as I say, some 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 home cooking here. We had to work some things out in that conversation. But for you who are listening in the climate movement, I remember, Reverend Malcolm, we, we did a tour 
And uh, we did a tour one time throughout urban communities. And the climate movement to me can be very usatory of the black church to be really all faith tradition. They, I don't, it's not just the black church, but across the board. But this is one situation here. We, we, we went to the church. We, we went, they had been, they, they came to me, a group that says, we have been trying for so long to get in with this, this black church in St. Louis. Oh, we've been trying, Reverend U.S. I said, okay, well, you know, when I, when we come through, I'm going to arrange it so you can come on in. And you know that our tradition, they actually gave them the good, this actually was, uh, this, is the, this is the mega church, it happened to be the church where Michael Brown's funeral was later mm-hmm. on. And so it's about a year before that we had came to the church. And so I said, well, uh, they're going to give you those good front row seats. You know, the front row seats is valuable <laughs> in some of our churches. And they're going to put them aside for you to come and sit there. But you got to come to the worship service. Right. Just be a part. Be a, be a sister. Be a brother. And I never forget it. Uh, we went there um, and... Uh, the pastor preached a great word. He preached uh, 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 a word about the three Hebrew boys and the fiery fur- furnace, and and you know, folks got happy uh, that day, and and it was a, it was a good word. But the thing that hurt me that those seats that they had left open were open. That those white climate activists didn't even come inside, and they left those that in those front two row seats, it was visibly open, and then afterwards. They didn't miss a beat to be like, so how can we get them to be involved with the climate movement? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you, you just got to just be a, be a friend. This, you should have came. So a lot of times when I hear what's going on with the church and how the, the movement even looks upon all of sometimes black people, it seems to be very usatory. Am I, am I mistaken on that? Am I reading into that too much or, or, or am I onto something? I, I think you are. But I think it goes back to to our capitalist model. Uh, It's extractive. And and that's exactly what we have is extractive relationships. I think communities of faith ought to be there to teach and and be a beacon for regenerative relationships. Uh, I I mean, let's, let's be clear. You and I both have seen in the climate movement that it's not just black churches, it's Black folk that get used this way. Mm. And, and it's, it, you know, it, it's, you know, you set up something in a community to have people come out and they don't come out to it. Let's look at it in the funding world. We 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 work our behinds off. And, and Reb, I'm being respectful here and saying behinds, but we work our behinds off in this movement. And, and our the funders don't show up for us. I mean, you know, so... That's honestly the way of, of of things, and that I think that we can shift that paradigm, in particular us of faith, and I, I think that that is our call and challenge to do. What responsibility do we have as black leaders to stop that? We got uh, for me, we've got to have the courage of Christ. And I'll say it this way. When Christ saw that the money changers were in the temple and were dividing the people off and everybody couldn't be 
considered a person and everybody couldn't enjoy the presence of being in community, he flipped those tables over and beat the people out of the temple that was causing the trouble. We've got to have the courage of Christ. My hope has got to give way to courage at some point, and I and that courage has got to give way to action, and I got to start doing something. Let's start turning over some tables and shutting some doors. Well, you're talking my language now. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean you know, oh, you know, I, I'm I'm with all of that. I'm 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 with the. Uh, Shut the, I, I like to shut the doors first and then turn on the tables. <laughs> they can't they can't run about it. They can't go nowhere. <laughs> they can't go nowhere. Gotta stay for this one. <laughs> Most definitely. I mean, I, I'm with you on that. I, I just hope that, and you're right. I think a lot of folks in our movement, um, to um they they wanna they wanna sit there with either Pharaoh or they wanna sit there with Herod. And they want to sit right there and amongst those who are, who they feel makes them important while their people suffer. Yeah. And and, and you know what? I've said this and and I'm I'm going to get down on that train with you. There are some people who would allow for people to stay in bondage Mm. just so that they can be seen as celebrities. Mm. Lord have mercy. I've seen it. I've not only seen it in the in the church world, but I've seen it in the movement as well. That there are people who would allow people to stay in bondage, who who will not accept solutions, real solutions, just because they don't want to lose their job. Uh, they don't want to lose their funding. Well, you know, and and I, I personally. And we we hitting on something now. I think that that to me, you are as bad as the pollution we are fighting that is killing our people by your actions. Let me be very clear. So if you're listening to this, and you this may be your awakening. You may be have you may be playing this in the background right now, and you may hear Reverend Markman and, and Rev Yearwood. You may be hold up. You know you you heard what you heard that your actions. Um, are literally more dangerous to our people because of you trying to be a celebrity or trying to give you a platform or trying to be close to. And as we, we, we have a joke, I mean, you know, listen, we have a joke. We have something I, I, I say they are part of the, the, the Maltese tribe. You know, I don't know what the Maltese tribe is. The Maltese tribe, <laughs> my mama told me this, is that, Maltese tribe is that is that is that black person who came across, and they were part of the Maltese tribe, and that black person came across, and and uh, they get around certain people, particularly white people, and uh, that white person can hit them in the head, white person can throw them on the ground, uh, and uh, and no matter what they do to them, that person will still come back with that little container of hot water and tea, and be like. You need some more tea, sir. <laughs> 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 and so <laughs> we got the Maltese tribe, <laughs> and, and 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 that's that. We don't need that right now, sir. No, no sir. we don't. We don't. We don't need that. To talk about for me. Um, just let's let's connect to where we are now with EJ, and how have the issues of the climate 
and the environment changed since it was, you know, raised in the early efforts of the civil rights movement, of the 17 principles of the of environmental justice and that that meeting back in 1991. How much has has changed since then to now? All right. So I, I will say this real because you started it, but uh, <laughs> it, it's gotten co-opted uh, for what I've seen more than anything. But as far as improvements are concerned, I don't think that much is much has changed at all. Uh, I, I think that, you know, uh, in particular, uh, white led organizations have adopted them and used them for funding. But at the same time, they don't live by them. and. and just like with the with the black church and and uh, the ignorance of of some of these conversations, uh, in particular with the five hundred one c three, as I just alluded to earlier, the same thing with the environmental justice uh, principles. Some of us don't even know them. Mm. We're doing this work and don't even real uh, don't even know them. We don't even know the Hermes principles. You know, uh, these aren't things that have 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 been of importance in our lives or in, in this movement, uh, in particular for those who are, you know, more celebrity driven than solution driven. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I don't think, I don't, I honestly don't think much has changed at all. Uh, you can tell me if you see something different. Well, I, I don't. And I think, <laughs> I mean, listen, we, 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 we have this conversation so we can, we believe if you knew better, you do better. That's so that's that's the thing that we have to have. We if we don't have some of y'all may not. Well, if you listen to the show, you you know we have honest conversations. That's what we're here for. But so, but I think that let me make it. You make it even clearer. And and I can I can carry if you want me to. I don't mind carrying the water now. If you want to join in with the water carry, I'm and I I I I, I, I you already are. But, but I just want to make sure to be clear. Uh, the modern day EJ movement in many cases, has been bought into a, to me, in cases where it has become very capitalistic. Um, it believes sometimes in a position where either you you have to marginalize or be marginalized. Mm-hmm. And it has also a position where it is no longer led by the communities that are impacted the worst. So black yeah. communities in this situation, brown communities in this situation, indigenous communities in a situation. It has to be led by them. People aren't listening so that when black folks say, stop the Bahalia pipeline in Memphis, that needs to stop. No, no other question. If indigenous folks say, stop line three, then that needs to be front and center. Not to come there to, say, sing a song or beat a drum or do some poetry or say a good message here, but to really listen to and support and fund. And there are a lot of folks who want to be close uh, and, and, you know, I, I just think that's, I think that is a situation here where it would be, listen, I'm not against anybody's hustle, but when people are dying, that changes. Right. That changes. Right. right. And so we'll be, so this, um, this, I'm clear. We're saying that this, the same convo we just had about the black church being co-opted, that the EJ movement is the same way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I I honestly think that, as you said, we've bought into a system of capitalism. And in, unless we adjust that system, shift that system, dismantle that system, uh, we, I mean, 
replace that system, it, it's going to continue to be the same. It won't change. We've got to deal with what our true enemy is. And it is a system that has been put in place that keeps us in bondage. And, and we've got to be honest that we've, we've benefited from it. And, and, and we've also got to be honest and we, we are reluctant to change it. We think can fix it. Let's get to some solutions on that one. What do you think if, if you can come in here and, and obviously this, this people, a lot of folks do uh, listen to this conversation. Uh, so they're going to hear it. So we want to give them, okay, this has been co-opted. And let me actually give some reasons. Let me be very clear on that. Let me actually give a, an opportunity. Because when there are many people who actually think of environmental justice and they think of it as a part of the Sierra Club. Now, I'm going to be very clear on this. Now, this is not to bash the Sierra Club, but we're going to keep this facts real. They, they think of that, when they, and they don't think of grassroots groups like you mentioned Leo Woodbury, and, and they don't think of uh, Elizabeth Yan Pierre and other groups who are out there doing that work. They actually don't think of those groups or in the community. They think of these larger entities. That's one thing. But let me ask you this question. There are also folks we mentioned before who want to be close to power, and they will do anything to stay close to power, no matter what, if it even means, you know, uh, in the words of Dr. King, you know, scratching when you ain't been itching, laughing when you ain't been tickled. <laughs> and so uh, uh, what do we have to do at this point? Because clearly on the good news, there is a lot of conversation happening around environmental justice. And there's a lot of conversations happening around environmental racism. There's a lot of conversations, particularly with young people who are trying to make it a more intersectional environmental movement, um, bridging the gap between racial justice and climate justice. So there's a lot of good in that aspect. So what do we need to do to continue that? Is it just simply waiting for one generation to replace another? Is it simply putting pressure on funders? What What do we need to do to quit this kind of co-opting of this capitalistic uh, environmental justice movement? Well, I, I think whatever whatever we do, it has to be collective action. Uh, and a big part of, of uh, the tactic to keep us from, from dealing with each other has been divide and conquer. We've got to stop celebrating exceptionalism and look at it collectively. Uh, I don't, honestly, Rev, I don't know if, if, the system that we have can be repaired. I, I don't know if it should be repaired because if we repair it, the only thing we're doing is repairing a system that's intentionally broken, that intentionally favors a certain sect of people. I, I, I really think that the system itself has to be replaced and we've got to replace that system with a system that starts with healing a system that starts with equity, a system that starts with justice. I, 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 I don't know what it looks like. I've got an MBA and, and, and you know, I, these things I study, but I don't know what that system looks like because of, of, of the corruption that, that happens. But I know right now we can pass policies that protect people and planet, that puts people and planet over profit. I know we can pass policies that stops restrictive voting 
uh, restrictive voting. I know we can pass policies that give, gives us clean energy, uh, clean energy standard. I, I mean, so I know that there are things that we can do and we can get behind and advocate for that that helps. But as far as the system itself, I think it, it's the role to reimagine. And, and my scripture says that God calls the young because they're strong and God calls the old because they know the way. So it has to be an intergenerational activity for whatever we envision going forward. And it has to be based on regeneration rather than extraction. And, and I'm sorry, I took the long way around and gave you a whole lot with that one, but no, that's no, a hard one to work out, man. No, 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 no. <laughs> and, 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 and I want to, bef- I actually want to, I want to shift gears before, but before I shift gears, I want to talk about a little bit about energy burden and energy poverty and those mm-hmm. things. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on that, but I do want to, this is, I want to, because you have a very unique, you know, you can wear both your CEO hat, so to speak, and your, and your chaplain hat, right? So you can, you know, obviously you can take your, you can get your MBA out and you can figure out how this thing needs to work, but you can also get out your MDiv and figure out how this thing needs to heal. Right. So I want to, I actually want to, I want you to, I want you to bring out your MDiv hat out. For a second, um, I want to talk about the healing part. Um, as as two ministers, uh, I, I will tell you, I am what you just said that I am concerned, particularly for young people, of having them go into a system that I know is flawed. I have seen so many young people who have become cynical, jaded. And bitter, at too young age, to be honest. Um, and I, I, I will tell you honestly, I sometimes wonder if it was even good for them to be in the movement at all, um, because of the fact that they are brought into something that eats up their spirit, because they're coming into this system that is very much has them on a treadmill, and and knows that, and they use them up in a way, and they go to the next young person. That young person goes from 18, 19, 20, they become 24, they go to the next young person. They wear them out, and they just, and they let them just eat them up. That's that's not, as me as a Christian, I'm, I'm I, people have different faiths, I am a Christian. And so that for me, I can't, I can't allow to see that and be in that same movement without speaking up. So right now, from your opinion, I'd like you to speak to some of those young people to give them a, but before we move on to some of the, the technical conversation from energy burden, poverty, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I need you to, to talk, tell them why it's important to hold on. But but before we get to this, the hold on aspect, how do we protect them so that they don't have to get to that point in the first place? Reverend, I, I think what you just uh, gave was an indictment on the older generation. And, and what I see as a growing edge for our older generation, our elders in the movement, uh, it's our job to serve, not to be served. Mm. It's our job to protect. Elders, elders should be protective of their babies, man. And, and it's unfortunate when I see 
young people that come in the movement and they are disregarded, discredited, devalued because of, uh, of their age, as if they don't have anything to bring to the table because of their age. And we put more value on experience than we do on knowledge. And, and, and what that does is it hurts us all. So I, I have to speak to my elders first and, and tell my elders that we've got to do better when it comes down to understanding young people and, and understanding our younger generations, but also shifting who we are because in our learning to understand it will challenge us to shift. But that shifting is for you a benefit and for them a greater benefit. Who wants to leave a legacy that dies with you? Mm. Your legacy should go first. So I, that was for my older folk. I needed to speak to them first. But then I speak to my younger people and, and let them know it's okay to rest. And it's okay to say no. When you reach your point where you've gotten uh, you've you've gotten exhausted and you you've exhausted your your means, it's okay for you to back away. Feel validated in that. But if it's still in your heart to do, find a way to get back in the race. Find a way to get back in the fight. Bring your uniqueness. Bring your authenticity. Bring it all to the table because it's needed there. Looking again to my Christian faith. Those cats that hung with Jesus, man, they were a motley crew in a hot mess. Understand that. But those help shape the world that we live in today. Help shape our beliefs that we have today. Bring your impact. Bring your person. It's valued in this space. So that's what I'd say to my young people and my older people. Very powerful. Um, let's get to some of this. Uh, some of these terms. Uh, what is what is energy burden? So energy burden. Uh, so researchers have said that thirty uh, percent of your income, your household income should go, uh, or your income should go to your household. 20% of that 30% should go towards your energy. And they say that's 6% of your total income that should go out for your utility, for your energy bill. There are people who are paying up to 20% of their total income towards their utilities. Anything past 6%, they consider to be energy burden. Anything past 10%, they consider to be an excessive energy burden. In our states in the South, there are uh, of, the, of the 10 top uh, cities that have excessive energy burden, we have about seven of them, I believe. Uh, one is Birmingham, another is Atlanta, uh, and and of of those uh, of those seven, they are uh, predominantly in the southeast. 
how how close is energy burden to the definition of energy poverty? Is it the same, or I mean, it's this clo- people would, it's closely aligned, but it's a little yeah. energy burden is obviously what you're paying your utility bill. Energy poverty is sometimes literally you are you are living in a community and you're missing um, the aspect of the energy. Uh, industry, so you're not you don't you're not really part of the fossil fuel economy, but you're also not really part of the clean energy movement as well. But you're remaining in poverty because you're not benefiting from those. So, how is it when you have one community is has spending so much money on their utility bills, but on the other hand, from energy poverty, they're not benefiting from either fossil fuels, which shouldn't be benefiting, but they're not also not benefiting benefiting from the clean energy as well. So of the of the um population that are experiencing excessive energy burden, the predominant predominant population is those who are already vulnerable, who are low income. Uh, They don't have funding to invest in stocks and fossil fuel, uh, and they are paying those excessive energy burden uh, fee rates, uh, which equate to, and just to make it practical, there are people who live and the uh, subsidized housing uh, or Section 8 housing who have an extremely low uh, rent uh, payment, but they may be paying three to five hundred dollars per month on their utilities, which when you look at it, that keeps them in the cycle of, of poverty. They can invest in, in fossil fuel, but they can't invest in um, uh, renewables either. And in the South, in particular, there is uh, an assault on um, um, alternative energy, uh, such as solar and wind. And, and so um, in that, there's very little uh, visibility in the market uh, for solar when it comes down to uh, the South. And so you have people who aren't invested because it actually costs them to invest. Like in Alabama, we have a tax that they charge if you put uh, solar on your home. Uh, And it's something like $5.41 per kilowatt, I believe. Uh, Excuse me. Um, So you you have deterrences for utility that don't allow for you to have that avenue, but you still are paying out these excessive energy rates or utility bills while at the same time, you aren't benefiting from either one of those. Hmm. One of the things I'm going to do, uh, Reverend Malcolm, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm call you in the future because when I come down there to the South, one of the things I want to do is uh, I believe a lot of my, my hip-hop colleagues, they need to use a lot of their resources and start investing in the clean energy revolution. Like I'm, I, I'm with you by, you, you, after you get one or two homes, you don't need to buy three or four. Um, uh, and 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 I'm I'm trying to start. I want to start the conversation. A lot of them do want to make have these investments, and so I think the South is a good way to do that in regards to you know, uh, particularly in solar, but also other renewables. But that in general, right. let me say this because you know, as as you know, I've spent some time in the Husqvarna fighting this climate movement, been put in jail a few times, and uh, <laughs> talking about you know. Uh, you know, climate justice is racial justice, and we got to stop white supremacy and all that. 
Yeah. But I never forget one time, so I had to about the fossil fuel industry is racist, which it is. But then um, after I had just got out of jail one time, um, I, I went out there to California and I went to the Tesla plant. I never forget how I felt. I went out there. I was saying, man, we fossil fuel people. They they put in pollution in our communities, this and that. I was going down the line, went to jail, you know, fighting the good fight. Then I got out there to Tesla to see Tesla. And I went to Tesla, and I ain't see a black person. I mean, I ain't at the front desk. I ain't, I mean, I, I, mean, I just, I ain't see a black person nowhere. I was like, y'all can get, y'all in San Francisco, and you you can't find somebody even front, work the front desk. And I was like, listen, I'm not fighting to go to jail while we go from one set of bondage to the other set of bondage, and we're not benefiting. So how do we get our community to show up as owners of this energy future so that we just ain't going from one side to the other side? We've got to look at the total picture. There's a supply chain that creates that uh, solar panel. There's a supply chain that that uh, that uh, installer uh, goes through to get the tools necessary to do the job. There's a supply chain for the tools. There's a supply chain for the equipment. And what we've got to do is start looking at how can we put some stop gaps in those supply chains to ensure that our people benefit from the investment of clean energy, not just the benefit from the clean energy. Don't just slap a panel on my house and I benefit that way. Help, let, let me get some money in my pocket from that panel. And so we've got to really start looking at the economic benefits. Even when we look at, you know, Biden's uh, jobs plan and, and the Build Back Better plan and the 40 percent benefits going to black communities. What that look like? Hmm. Who defines the benefits? Mm -hmm. What happened to the investment? How do we economically find upward mobility through this venture? And that's how we've got to start having these conversations. It's fine. We can celebrate a, a solar panel going on your house. Any money going in your pocket? Or are you paying that money out? And, and if we start looking at it really real, if we start following the money, if we really start following the money, then we'd understand what we really need to fight. Because that's where it all is. It all comes down to the dollars. If it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. Hmm. Come on now. Uh, and we say in our world, that'll preach. <laughs> 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 that will preach. I want to give you this. I want to give you some. I have a couple more questions, but I actually want to shift a little bit. I want to actually want to give you time to say what you want to tell the people. Like, is it something on your heart? I know a lot of things going on with the South, different things. I, I just want to make sure if there's something that I miss. I want to give you this time to to okay. give you that, give you this platform to say what you want to say. Thank you. I'd, I'd like to uh, raise uh, a simple solution that we all could get involved in, and we can do it right away. If we would do community outreach in the form of weatherization, at this point in time, weatherization programs don't cover renters. 
majority of our vulnerable community lives in renters, renter houses or renter units. Uh, it doesn't cover multiple unit uh, family or multiple uh, units, family units. We've got to learn. We've got to somehow learn how to implement weatherization as outreach. And if we can do that as a ministry for our congregations, just how sexy would that be? Uh, but not only do we need to do implementation from a practical standpoint, but we need to advocate because this is low hanging fruit. We need a national weatherization program in place that we can look at our states and mandate or uh, that our states follow this program so that our most vulnerable can be served. And in particular, those who are living in these communities that are polluted, because not only does weatherization help to seal your house to keep your energy bill down, but it also helps to keep the pollutants out, out of your home. Then on top of that, it helps to bring down our greenhouse gas emissions. So it helps the planet. If you really want to protect people and you really want to protect the planet, Get involved in weatherization. If you really want to know how to do that, work with us. We're, we're doing We Rise, which is weatherizing every resident in the Southeast, where we want to work with communities of faith to implement these uh, uh, weatherization as a ministry for your congregation to look out for your community. And tell people again how, how they can get in contact with you if they want to get more information about that. You can always uh, email us at info at thepeoplesjusticecouncil.org, or you can go to our website at www.thepeoplesjusticecouncil.org. My last question. First of all, this was a pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> Thank we, you, we, man. We, 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 we definitely went in here. We definitely closed that door <laughs> and turned over a few tables now. We turned over a few tables. <laughs> and lay uh, some hands. And lay some hands. <laughs> look, shout, shout out to all my, my environment and climate justice people <laughs> and, and, and community. I want to be able to get to my car when it's over with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> well, this is this is this is my last question. This um, one is a twofold question. One is you know you know you know what keeps you inspired, and and what what also keeps you hopeful as we move forward because the it's it's it's, it's a it's a it's a unique time. Yeah, we living in. I mean, we got a lot going on in our communities. We're dealing yeah. with, like I said, with pollution, with poverty, police brutality, the pandemic. So we got a lot. We got a lot going on. So if you can, yeah, what, what inspires you and what keeps you hopeful? I came in this movement, Reb, uh, at a point when I was broken. I was broken in ministry. I was broken in my family life. I was broken financially. I was just broken. and And... I found a community that surrounded me and showed me care and showed me love and continues to do that. And that in itself inspires me. I'm inspired and energized by the care and the love that I get from people, even, uh, and, and I hope he hears this, even from Dr. Robert Bullock, even with he being a mean, honorable old man to me. <laughs> yeah, I still, 
find joy and, and energy and, and, and the love that I, I get from them. Uh, and, and, you know, my compassion for communities that suffer, man, I, I'm called to the least and the left out. And so I'm energized in that call as well and inspired by those who I touch every day, who I touch every day, those stories that I hear every day and the fight that I'm I'm engaged in. Well, I hope you don't mind uh, having an old hip-hop preacher hang with you sometimes. Man, who? I, listen, I would be <laughs> smiling from ear to ear, man. <laughs> Good, well, good. Well, we did. We got some. We got some work to do. Maybe a few doors to close. We gonna. We gonna get to it. Then. That's it, man. I'm with it. It, it was. It was a. It. It was a blessing. Yeah. Uh, and that is our guest today. That is Reverend Michael Malcolm, and I am Rev Yearwood, your host of the coolest show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know.